All right, everyone, thank you very much for joining us. Um, today, we'll be speaking to Scott Poor, the Chief Investment Officer for Eudaimonia Group. Super glad to have him back, um, as we do every other week, to just talk through the market and what's going on. Um, he's got a really good alliterative title, Market Musings. I like it. Um, but I, I just think kind of topic on the table to throw it out there. Um, just Let's just talk through inflation. I know that's been kind of top of mind for everyone. So, Scott, give us kind of your thoughts on inflation, how you look at it, and how it affects the market. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me back. You know, the, the, the big word that we keep hearing lately is transitory, that inflation is just transitory. We personally don't hold that view. We actually, if you look at our market uh, outlook at the beginning of the year, we called for higher inflation. Now, what we seem to be having is this confluence of events that's just exacerbating the inflation that we expected. So you've got situations like uh, what happened a, a couple months ago in the Suez Canal that you know, uh, stopped the supply lines temporarily. So that caused uh, inflation in terms of uh, suppliers having to increase their prices and passing that on to the consumer. Then you've got what happened this week with the pipeline on the East Coast uh, that exacerbated already rising energy prices. Uh, you've got what's going on here in my hometown of Memphis uh, with uh, a crack in the bridge, and they had to shut the I-40 bridge down going from Tennessee to Arkansas. But because of that, they've also shut down the Mississippi River. So the barge is going up and down the Mississippi River. They have been uh, halted. I think there's something like close to 250 different barges that are in queue that can't go up and down the river through that section. And so if you think about that, each barge contains the equivalent of what would be on 20 or 30 semi-trucks going up and down the highway. So if there's almost 300 of these barges uh, backed up, that's multiples and multiples of the equivalent of uh, uh, semis going up and down the highway that can't go up and down the river. So you've got these confluence of events that are, that are adding to what we would perceive as a, an already rising inflationary environment. And, and the main reason we thought inflation would rise this year was because you've got pent-up demand. We kind of talked about this last time. You had uh, a record number of savings last year. The, the savings rate went to 15% last year, the highest it's been since 1960. Now you're unleashing all those savings because now consumers can go back out and spend again. So their demand has skyrocketed. The supply chain is not able to keep up right now, both because of a backlog in supplies, but also because of a labor shortage. And so you've got all these things happening uh, uh, that's just making inflation a little bit worse right now than it is. But I wouldn't necessarily call it transitory. I think that inflation is here to stay for a while. So I think you kind of you got two pieces that people worry about. I think three weeks or so ago, everyone was worried about rates rising and that caused the growth stocks to come down. Now you're talking about inflation, you know, going you know, rising. And now that's causing these growth stocks to go down. They both are having adverse impacts on the market, but really they're, you know, those are two sides of, of a coin. It's like, if you don't want inflation, you're going to have to raise rates, but if you don't raise rates, you're going to have inflation. How do you, how do you manage that? You know, in, in terms of your market view and where should you kind of be looking for opportunities given those two sides of that coin? Yeah, so uh, a lot to unpack there. Basically, what we're seeing right now is we're, we're kind of being compared a lot to the late 70s when we have rising inflation, rising interest rates, um, oil embargoes. Uh, but it's not necessarily a one-to-one -one comparison, even though the comparisons are being drawn. Um, what we're having right now is rising interest rates and rising inflation, but coming off the bottoms. Uh, in, the, in the 70s, you actually had uh, interest rates that were already normalized. And then they took off. 
Uh, most people remember the late 70s, early 80s, where it was double-digit mortgage rates and double-digit uh, uh, yield on the 10-year Treasury. Uh, inflation was also fairly normalized, and it took off. So we, we really had the last two decades uh, from now uh, really record low inflation or, or benign inflation. And just in August of last year, we hit a record low on the 10-year Treasury at 85 basis points. So what we're seeing is we're coming off the lows and starting to normalize, and it's a little painful because investors aren't used to normal interest rates or normal inflation. And so there's, there's a period of adjustment that's going on here. What it also means is, is we're seeing a, kind of a shift inside the markets. As interest rates go higher, all these high-momentum tech names now are starting to look expensive, and you, so you're seeing a shift in the market from growth to value. So opportunities could be in places that you wouldn't normally expect uh, and areas that really haven't done as well over time. So energy is doing exceptionally well, partially because of inflation. Energy was one of the worst sectors to own in 2020. Uh, this year, it's doing exceptionally well. That kind of falls in the value space. Financial companies are a good place to look. Uh, as interest rates rise, they can actually do better on the margins on their uh, investment products that they that they uh, sell. And so those are a couple of areas that are opportunities that you might want to look at. Industrials are probably going to be a pretty good place to look as well because, again, you've got a supply chain backlog uh, the prices are rising there, and, and, and you know they're going to pro they're going to probably uh, pass those costs up to consumers. So industrials are probably a good place to look as well. So what I'm kind of hearing is, you know, for a lot of people that have not have just kind of bought the market, say for the first time since the pandemic, and kind of rode the market up, it's becoming a little more choosy. You got to you got to pick your spots a little more intelligently um, to kind of if you want to be a little more nimble, I think you'll be rewarded for being nimble that way. You, you mentioned a, a statistic when we were talking before the show about how the market had done as a whole during that kind of that stagflation period. You want to just throw that out there? Because I think it's a good kind of point of reference as well for quote unquote, the market. Yeah. So for example, if we're being compared to the late seventies, and if you had gone in and bought the S&P, uh, say in December 31st of 1976 and held it till December 31st of 1980, you still made a lot of money. You were up 25% on your original investment, uh, more than 25%. And, and there were periods where, you know, obviously the, the market was up and down and there's some peaks and valleys. Uh, but overall, if you held it, you know, you, you made money. So again, what you got to do now is really balance your risk. It's not going to be a go-go market. It's not going to go straight up from here. There's going to be peaks and valleys. But it's also important to remember what history looks like. If you go back to 1980, we have pullbacks during the year of at least 8% on average. And those happen 76% of the time. Now, in a lot of those cases, those are pullbacks and the market ends up being positive for the calendar year. If you look at those uh, those pullbacks during the year of at least 8% or more, there's about 30 of them. 23 of those happened in, in markets where the market was up by the end of the year. So we get these pullbacks all the time. What's, what, what's funny is that investors kind of lose their muscle memory. Um, they remember the really big ones like 2008 or last year, but they forget about the smaller ones. It's kind of like the uh, uh, everybody remembers the big earthquakes, but they don't remember the little bitty tremors that happen every year along the way. So uh, these are normal, but it, it's not going to be an easy market to just to just, um, you know, make a bunch of money. And no matter what you do, you know, it's, it's the old uh, the old uh, idea of taking a dart and throwing at the dartboard on the with the uh, Wall Street Journal and, and, you know, any stock's going to go higher. That's probably not going to be the case going forward. 
So take me through to just from a perspective of, of historical perspective, volatility, uh, because I think that's another like you, you said, hey, by the end of this period of time, you had made money. But there's volatility in that mix. And I know we've had very low volatility recently as well. Just kind of give me like a context for how to kind of look at maybe these rising rate environments and the volatility that comes in comparison to where we're at now. Yeah. So, you know, one thing you have to remember when we look at bull markets versus bear markets, uh, the average bull market has a, a lifespan of about uh, 35 to 40 months. The average bear market has a lifespan of about 12 to 14 months. So uh, actually, bull markets are on your side. So it's very hard to guess when's going to be the next bear market. And it's probably not a good exercise for investors to go through. That's why we have our indicator. Our indicator gives us that balance of, okay, what's going on in the markets? Should we be defensive? Should we get out? Should we not? What we're seeing is spikes in the VIX, and the VIX is one of the components of our indicator. So real quick, real quick, Scott, can you just stop here just so that people understand that they're listening? They're like, When you say a bear market, how far down does the market need to go for it to be considered a bear market? Yeah, so you got two measures. A bear market is generally speaking a 20% decline from peak to trough in the market. Or if you look at it from an economic standpoint, a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And so those two things are typically usually hand in hand. And so we're getting a lot of choppiness in the volatility. So our wealth protection signal, one of the components that we use is the VIX. And so the VIX made a high in February, March, and then most recently a couple of days ago. But what we're seeing is lower highs. So the trend line is down, even though it's choppy, and we're getting some shocks to the system, the trend line is down. Um, the other flip side of, of our uh, indicator, uh, wealth protection signal, is fear. Um, and so what we're not seeing is we're not seeing a lot of fear in the market. Um, that piece of the indicator that we use is called the TED spread. In theory, what happens is traders go from risky investments to risk what they perceive as risk-free investments that piece of the indicator is not moving. Uh, it's actually being very stable. And so we're not seeing a lot of fear or panic in the market. So again, it's this adjustment, this rotation going on inside the market, not necessarily a wholesale people of getting out of the market. So when you look at our indicator right now, it's around 19. It has to get to 45 to trigger. So it has to more than double to get to that first trigger point where we would take uh, money from equities and put it in cash on the sidelines. So even though it's choppy and it doesn't feel very f much fun right now, uh, it's not giving us any indication that we need to be raising cash. And if people want a little more context on the wealth protection signal and, and the index and what it is, um, I know we talk about it a lot on, on the podcast because I want people to, if they historically listen, they can kind of tune in and see where were we at kind of, you know, these different periods of time to give context. Um, I'm always happy to give it if you want to contact me directly. And I can give you kind of the sheet and, 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 and the breakdown of it. But, but Scott, just give me just for, you know, like 30 seconds, what are the numbers for the wealth protection index? Does it go from like zero to what? And then where we're at today? I know you mentioned 45 is kind of when we start to raise. Um, but just give me a quick breakdown of how it looks. So if someone hears, they know what's going on. So last year's a good example. Last year, um, we actually went to two trigger raises last year during the pandemic. That was uh, uh, February and March. And so what happened was we hit the first trigger point and then we quickly got to the second trigger point. So we were 20% cash in the sidelines. And so that hit a level of 45 and it hit a level of 70. The third level that it has to get to is 100. And it got very, very close to triggering there. But all of a sudden in April, it flipped and turned around. And so most investors were thinking, oh, my gosh, this pandemic is going to get worse. We're in trouble. Let's raise some more cash. 
our indicators said the opposite. It flipped and turned on a dime and went lower and made us put money back to work in late April and early May. So we were fully invested by May. And so we were able to ride the market up as uh, as the pandemic began to recede and the market began to recover. So um, there's two more levels after 100. And so we hit those in, in the 2008 financial crisis up to a level of 250. So if you think about it in those perspectives, it's got to get to 250 for us to raise a fourth time. And so right now, again, we're at 19, just to kind of give you some perspective there. We're very low on the indicator. You might see a little bit of choppiness on the line, but again, it's nowhere close to, to the trigger point. And I know it can move quickly. I mean, you've seen it, you've seen it move. Um, but really right now it's in that, at that pretty low level. Um, well, before I, before I kind of sign off, anything that you want to kind of throw out there as potential opportunities, or if you want to say any landmines, because I know we've talked a lot about kind of ways to position, uh, but any opportunities or landmines that we haven't talked about yet that you want to discuss? Yeah, you know, I, I still think there's plenty of opportunity in the energy space. Again, we're, we're reopening things. We are we're, we're addressing these pent-up demand issues. If, if you look at some of the numbers, uh, the airlines are up big today. I'm not a big fan of, of airlines as businesses because they're not run very well. But they, they tanked last year, and all of a sudden they're starting to come back because people want to get out. Uh, if you look at TripAdvisor, the number of, of searches for vacations – uh, destinations for hotels, for Airbnb, those searches are skyrocketing compared to what they were last year. So I, I think uh, the opportunities are going to be in those areas where we're addressing pent-up demand, airlines, um, rental cars, um, uh, leisure and hospitality, uh, theme parks, those things that people used to do in the summertime, they're going to try to do this year, even if there are some some mask issues or some limitations they want to get back out there. And so I think those are some good opportunities to look at as we continue to reopen. Thank you very much, Scott. It's always informative. I learn something every time I talk to you and um, look forward to having you on in a couple of weeks. And I'm sure we'll have something to talk about then. 